Uh, I only have three titles to talk about this week, including our featured movie. Yeah, I think but we I saw know. all the same. I, I took all your suggestions. Okay. So we've got two streaming titles and then High Fidelity. Yeah. Um, I did see one other thing, but I just don't want two movies competing for bonkers. So I'm going to save. I'll tell you the other one later. Maybe you can check it out before next week. Okay. It's an old uh, Yorgos Lanthimos. So. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know uh, what I also watched? Then we don't have to go into this, but I'd never seen it before. Uh, I watched Death Becomes Her last night. Oh, really? That's kind of kind of a classic one, isn't it? Yeah. Well, uh, Zemeckis, certain, right? Certain cult classic. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I'm not sure what it was about. <laughs> it was trying to say something. I missed it. But I enjoyed some silliness from some beloved actors. Sure, yeah. Fun cast. Yeah. Fun effects before... Uh, well, it, it, it is CG, right? But it's kind of early CG. Yeah, it won, it won the Oscar for visual effects, mm. which I think is pretty interesting for a movie like that. It just goes to show how, I guess, um, groundbreaking that was. It's weird to me that Zemeckis just always is chasing that. I guess that's his thing, and I, I hope he's happy. I think at some point he'd be like, okay, I did all the animation and effects. Let's do a real movie. Right. Because the, the effects don't look bad, even by today's standards, I think. Mm. So... um. Maybe we start off with Banana Split? Sure. Get that one uh, dealt with. I thought it was new. People are talking about it like it's new. I guess it's new to streaming, but it's a 2018 comedy film. Uh, so I heard that the buzz about this was that it was 2020s, uh, which is already incorrect, one word in, uh, book smart. And uh, I'd say no, it's not. Um, it is a, um, this is like a teenage comedy uh directed by benjamin kasulka or kasulki and um written by one of its stars hannah marks along with joey power and it is a story of two girls april and clara who become bffs um despite the fact that going into their relationship they both know that one of them is dating the other's ex-boyfriend and so it's about teen drama and everybody talks in the same sarcastic cadence and their lines are pretty much interchangeable but I found it amiable enough and funny enough and interesting enough. Uh, the way that it does remind me of Booksmart is only maybe that it is kind of fresh and, and mostly authentic, I think because it's written by very young people. And everybody in it is basically nice. Like, like what I loved about Booksmart was that all these crazy different types were also strangely three-dimensional people that you enjoyed being around. And there's a little touch of that in this movie, not to the same extent, though. But what would you think of Banana Split, Dan? Yeah, I thought the same thing about Booksmart, but not. Mm -hmm. They don't seem to be related. It doesn't seem like it's trying to copy Booksmart. It's almost unfortunate for it that something is good. It's a little unfair, too, yeah. Yeah, that something as good as Booksmart came out just that year and draws the obvious comparison. And this one will always fall short. Um, I found it an enjoyable watch, too. I thought that the cast was good. The story was fine. The dialogue was funny, um, but it just it was never that good or that funny. I didn't right. understand all the relationships completely. I didn't totally get why people were mad at each other sometimes. And that just might be my social thickness that, that I don't get what's happening. They all kind of played a type. I felt like it wasn't real fresh. Like, um, yeah. what's her name? The girl who's quite wild in Booksmart. 
Oh, uh, Billy Lord. As, yes, um, Billy Lord. That's who I'm thinking of. What an Gigi, original, right? an original character, and a, a just a brilliant rendition from the actress. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't find any characters like that in this movie. Right. We've got the two main women. One is kind of the more conventional pretty pretty high school girl and then the other is a little more rough around the edges darker um yeah we we know those two girls and then the clueless guy who they both like and then there's the guy who's really their friend who they're more sensitive who ends up being like a romantic fling for one of them and he always ends up being normal or gay when he grows up you know we we know all these people i I wish that there had been a little bit more freshness I didn't like the little sister at all. I found her character to be annoying yeah. and distasteful because she had no point in the plot except to antagonize her older sister and to speak filth to right. her and her mother, who sort of is such a progressive mom that she just kind of accepts it. I didn't like yeah, the, that. Though I also I always like Jessica Hecht, though, by the way, as the mother. No, she was good as the kind of hapless, too cool mom. Uh, a little everything's written a little thin, but she was definitely enjoyable. And then, yeah, the little sister, I felt like she was supposed to be the breakout character, the crazy, Oh my God, I can't believe they, but it was, it was forced. I felt. Yeah. Not, not very successful, but uh, she's not a huge part of the movie, but were any of the situations particularly odd or funny? They were pretty much high school movie situations. Right. Yeah. I guess the hook of the whole thing is just that these two girls are, uh, best buds while actively they're not allowed to talk about who one of them is dating but that also to me is kind of what makes the movie fall apart if you think about it too much is like how it didn't play enough into the the pressure of that and the weirdness of there's a couple scenes you know where one is with the boyfriend and she's getting texts or whatever but the logistics of it seemed like they wouldn't really work and what was the reason that they wanted to keep it from him that they were friends yeah a contrivance because plot reasons yeah it would seem like they would want to keep something from each other but wouldn't he think oh that's great i'm so glad that they're getting along right he was an interesting character because on the one hand i liked when you first see him it seems like he's going to be a major jerk he's going to end up to be this kind of like douche bro and he's a little bit like that he's dumb sometimes but he's mostly he turns out to mostly just be nice and normal but that's also like he's very bland and i don't i couldn't tell you anything about his character except that he right. has long hair and is kind of a... It was completely uh, fine. Yeah. I don't know what I paid for it, but it was one of the higher rentals. Oh, yeah, like seven that, bucks or something. Yeah, that seems like a lot for a movie like yeah, that. It does. And so that's going to be... But that's going to be the weird thing here is I'm trying to keep up with new releases so I can feel like I'm seeing the new stuff. But, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't even tell Shireen that when we saw Little Women, it cost $20 to rent it. Well, that's wild. Yeah. yeah, that's something not to share. No. Um, <laughs> I really wanted her to see it, and it's not on Blu-ray yet, so uh, that was the only way to I do mean, it. I mean, you could have had a meal out for way more than that, but you can't right. have a meal out. So this if is. If I just, took her to the movies to see it, we would have spent more than that. Although, yeah. not with my subscription. To... Well, right. I what I what I'm saying is not that I mind paying the seven bucks or whatever for these purposes. If, however, I were listening and thinking, what's really worth my time? I right. think I might wait for it not to cost seven bucks. Absolutely, wait I for it to it be out. on a subscription that you already have. Right. If it sounds at all interesting, are we ready to transition to our second? Title I mean, of the evening? was our second title of the evening ready to transition to being a movie? 
because I'm not sure it was. No. I and did, it's a I shame. Thought, yes. Yeah. Oh, I saw a trailer for this a couple months ago, and I, I was my interest was peaked. <laughs> Anything this stylized and that obviously looks like it has a mission statement, I'm like into it. But then I watched it. Yes. And so I'm looking at the poster right now, <laughs> and I'm seeing above it four-star quotes. And the poster itself is like a mirror image of mirror images that go back forever. And so that must just be like one four-star review that probably the screenwriter did. And they've just (laughs) mirrored it down the way. It's his Amazon user review. Right. Because I became more interested in this movie when I saw that it was a one-star dud on Ebert. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, this looks so good and yet reviewed so badly it must be great right i thought you were gonna love it it's exactly like the kind of experience i like to have so since i'm talking i'll talk about the description so vivarium which by the way i looked up and discovered that it is just a general umbrella term for an aquarium or a terrarium or any like sort of glass enclosure where living things reside so that's what a vivarium is And it's a 2019 science fiction, I guess so, thriller Mm -hmm. film directed by Lorcan Finnegan. And I was glad to see um, Jesse Eisenberg and Imogene Poots reunited after uh, Art of Self-Defense. That made me extra excited because, boy, did I enjoy that movie. And I enjoyed it more the second time around, by the way. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. Give it a a second go. So it went to uh, Cannes, I'm reading here, last May. And I guess it didn't win anything because I think they'd mentioned that. But the point is that we've got this young couple and they are thinking of maybe buying a piece of real estate. And so they walk into this mysterious office and this guy kind of pressures them to go take a look at a unit with him right then, even though they're not totally sold on the idea. And they follow him into this oppressive, awful looking track of houses that it just seems to go on forever and ever. Every house is identical. All the clouds look fake and unmoving. The air looks dead. He takes them into number nine and shows them around. And it's a you know fine furnished home in the suburbs. And in the midst of the tour, he slips away and he's just gone and they don't know what happened. So they think, okay, we're just going to go. And they try to drive away, but they keep on coming back around to number nine. And they drive all day and all night and they find that they're trapped here. And so they have to take up residence in this house. And soon this little child arrives and there's a note on the box that says, raise the child and you'll be released. And he goes to work digging a hole in the front yard. And I guess this is a metaphor for what we do with our lives. When we have a job, we just dig and it gets us nowhere and it kills us slowly. And uh, the child um, gets is very annoying, speaks in an adult voice and speaks curses. This movie has a lot of memorable quotes. Like when the kid walks in and goes, ah, all the time. I'll be quoting that one for a year. And they just flip him off. They hate him and they hate each other. And so we just watch this unfold. The kid grows at an exponential rate, much faster than other children. So really, it's only going to take together and you have to catch up with that. Yes. So he's going to be an adult. He's going to be raised in no time, really. I mean, a few years, but not like 18 years. And when he leaves, 
the promise to be released is realized, but not in the way they hoped. And the curtain no comes down on a, right. And, and the, and the curtain comes down on a pretty grim conclusion. Now <laughs> it became so boring with yeah. what could have been a really intriguing premise. And I feel like they had more to say that was so tired about, Oh, the bore of suburbia and how you give up your life and how children wreck everything. And you're, you know, kind of these really 1960s right. ideas College and they don't do anything fresh with it. Yeah. And just things get worse and worse for the characters that you hated from the beginning. And you're as bored as they are by the end. Mm-hmm. There's no thrill. There's no danger. There are no stakes. You just watch the life drip out of two people who have been imprisoned. I mean, would you, would you in- say I'm right about that? Yes. No, I'm with you all the way. There's an intriguing bit of nature footage that opens the movie where you think, okay, I'm fascinated to see how this resonates. But really, there's more metaphor and meaning in that than anything that follows as far as like coherence goes. I don't well, know quite the statement of that. It didn't make any sense in light of what no, because, went on after. And I'll get, I guess I'm getting a little spoiler and I also just want to back up and, and give my take on the whole thing. But yeah. are they, are these aliens that come in and are imposing this and they use humans to raise their own offspring so that they'll be human like in their behavior. None of that's a speculation that sort of makes a little bit of sense out of the nonsense of this movie. But that's not reflected in that clip of the bird kicking the other bird's babies out of its nest. No, the metaphor doesn't hold. And and speaking of metaphors, that's my thing with the whole enterprise. So if you're going to make a twisted science fiction allegory, you need to have a cool science fiction metaphor. And then you need to have something to say in the allegory. And I feel like it's pretty easy to get what they want to say, which is not interesting, (laughs) which is like you say, it's basic, you know, college level man, the man and you work and, and toil and kids are annoying and, and whatever suburbia. Okay. Great. Seen it. And then the science fiction part, which is supposed to be intriguing and, and, you know, delicious and weird is just aggravating and baffling and the kid is creepy not in a good like creepy movie monster way there's something about the even in like old movies when an adult dubs the voice of a child and it's a grown-up doing a child voice that's just what that rubs me so the wrong way and uh, they kind of do that here uh yeah i don't i don't want to give away too many details in case people are intrigued and want to see it for themselves it's pretty short it's like 90 minutes why not it's so boring. None of the details I, yeah. are intriguing. Like, why not? Why not? Okay, so the reason people live in suburbs is because they want some more space and they want some quiet and they want a safe haven and they want a nice, fresh space for themselves. That may not be for everybody, but it's not all bad. And so these people, what what is the torment? They're being forced to be isolated but the right. place where they live is nice and all of their needs are provided for. No one is forcing him to dig a hole all day and all night. No one is forcing any yeah. of that. What if the husband and wife actually learned to, I mean, I don't know if they're married, but they 
teamed up and actually learned to care for each other through this thing right and at least tried to stand up to it or fight against it what if we figured out a little bit of what was going on with what was keeping them trapped there or what the oppressive force wanted out of right. the raising of this child Just never and why they couldn't do it the themselves yeah so and all, you and i are both uh parental units so maybe we're biased in this way but i felt like lumping in childbearing and rearing with work and you know mortgage and house and suburbia and i thought i don't know is it a comment on postpartum like is it a metaphor for something mm-hmm. the way they just understandably hated this child well and the thing is two people want this people work because they want to prop up the life they've made for themselves under most circumstances they want to provide for a family that's the reason they work it's not that that thing makes them toil or that right. they'd have no you know because these people are trapped against their will in this no one gets i mean in time perhaps you feel trapped in the choices you made but everyone at one point yeah i want to buy a house yeah i want to get married and have a child yeah i want this at some point but these people were completely forced and tricked into all of it and they resent it and hate it to their dying breath there's a sequence near the end that i uh, i won't say the details but where uh gemma imogen poots basically has like this experience climbing down into the the depths and levels of this vivarium and seeing other situations. And it, it should have added some depth and, and some intriguing. I'm not asking them to spell things out, but a good, you know, adept sci-fi script will give you stuff to chew on. And I just felt like it got even more sleepy and baffling and boring and weird. In those it's moments, a really curious thing. Yeah, I was glad that they tried to do something different that was the only thing I liked about it. It it put me in mind of uh, being John Malkovich when they're going Mm -hmm. through the subconscious, but -hmm. it wasn't interesting like that. But that's kind of what I thought of. Oh, they're trying to move one curtain for us, but it didn't mean anything. And, you know, we were, we keep dancing around the ending, but in what happened, what caused that ending? I didn't understand. The, the loss that they both experience and and what caused it. Right. Just all of a sudden we were there and we were supposed yeah. to accept that what happened happened. What, what caused it? Right. And the timing of the way it works out with the overlords and the, the very final moments of the movie is just that, I guess that's supposed to be like, oh, it's supposed to be a Twilight Zone kind no. of ending. But what does it mean? What was the whole thing about? That was so obvious from the beginning because we know that these, you know, pod people age at a faster rate than everyone else. We know we've met one in the opening moments. He was desperate to get somebody in the house. We know he has some purpose. And obviously the purpose is to replace himself. And that's what happened. But so what? So, yeah, I mean, I, on the huge, the widest scale possible, I get it. That's what, that was my three word letterboxed review. I get it because it's about the toil and the strife and the resentment and the pointless Sisyphean work. And the whole point is to keep perpetuating a society that then puts another generation through the same. I get it. But that isn't the way the world works. (laughs) That isn't the way most people approach life. 
Right. And you, why have a convoluted, baffling sci-fi element to make the point that is overly simplistic? Like, it's such a weird balance of crazy metaphor to meaning. Yeah. The, obvious meaning. The story and the underlying metaphor could have been written on a cocktail napkin, and instead they tried to flesh it out into a 90-minute film. It is a little too boring, which is what keeps it from being like serenity level. You got to check this out. Oh yeah. It, it does not rise to that level of badness. I thought in like the first 20 minutes, like maybe when I first messaged you that maybe we had our, our serenity, but I held my tongue. No. And then by the end I was like, no, it's not that great. So boring. I actually appreciated serenity on a rewatch. Really? Not like in a good movie way, but I feel like I saw some things that I didn't, understand before mm-hmm. and since i wasn't spending my time being appalled and shocked at right. every new thing because i already knew what was going to happen and i'd gone in accepting that huh. i feel like I, I i got a better view for what the what the filmmakers were going for it's still not a good movie right uh a, a huge swing that's what makes that so fun is that you can't yeah. believe what you're seeing <laughs> um did you ever catch up with the beach bum <laughs> no that's one of those I mean, movies. That's one of those movies that I just keep. Yeah, I shouldn't. Mm, nah. Yeah, I can't recommend that you <laughs> devote time to it. But if you ever happen to be up for it and see it, I'd love to, to know your take. All right. Well, maybe I will this week because, um, you know, not much is going on. Yeah. Um. All right. Before we take a quick break, I do. Again, I feel bad always dictating what we watch but i do keep an eye out for new stuff and i have a couple recommendations for this week great if you're up for it there is a new film called uh rarely what is it never yeah, I rarely, know what you mean. Times, always yeah. mm-hmm. and everyone's talking about I don't occasionally know, sometimes <laughs> seldom <Yeah, something laughs> sporadically <laughs> frequently uh anyway that's one that i keep hearing only good things about which, you know, might make one suspicious. Uh, And then there's a documentary on Netflix called Crip Camp that I also am hearing a lot of good things about. Documentary, huh? And then the other thing that I did watch, but I don't know how easy it's going to be to see. It might just be there for rental on Amazon. I don't know, but I saw it on the Criterion channel was Dogtooth, which is, I think, the second film, early film of Yorgos Lanthimos. Oh. In Greek, truly insane truly one of the weirdest most upsetting movies i've seen so you know well maybe i'll look at look up look it up what's the yeah. one that may have been his first i don't know where the people become they play the parts of the people that others are grieving i think that's alps which i have also seen yeah did we i think we both watched that at some point I think recently? we did yeah i, I mean, don't know if we talked about it on the show though I don't know. I just thought of it. Yeah, uh, I don't remember it very well, but I it was also upsetting. I won't say anything about Dogtooth because I went in blind and um, it's something else. Well, I look forward to it. All right, let's take a break and then we're going to come back and talk about our feature for the week. Bye.
Welcome back, Dan and Josh. So uh, this week's Holds Up feature is uh, my selection. So let me introduce us to uh, a movie that I think most people know about already. High Fidelity is a 2000 comedy drama music film directed by Stephen Frears and based on the novel by Nick Hornby uh, with a screenplay adapted by a bunch of people, including Scott Rosenberg, Steve Pink and John Cusack himself who stars in this movie about rob gordon a 30 something kind of sad sack uh, man child who collects records owns a record shop in chicago i think it is and uh laments a breakup at the beginning of the movie he's the kind of guy who puts a lot of meaning and feeling and drama around the idea of relationships he loves his relationships way more than he cares about the people he is in relationships with and we're processing a breakup with him as he expresses himself as he does through his opinions and collection of uh, music of records he works with uh, todd luiso as dick his employee and Jack Black as a, another employee who we get the feeling just kind of showed up one day, and Barry. And uh, this is not Jack Black's first appearance, but I think this is considered by many to be his breakout role. He was still pretty new to uh, public consciousness. And then there's also a series of girlfriends and flashbacks, uh, various scenes played by the likes of Catherine Zeta-Jones as Charlie and uh, Lily Taylor as Sarah, Joel Carter as Penny, uh, some would-be girlfriends like Natasha Gregson-Wagner as Caroline Fortis, and Lisa Bonet of The Cosby Show as a musician named Marie DeSalle, who sings a really bad cover of Ooh Baby, I Love Your Way that uh, they didn't even bother putting on the soundtrack for this movie. <laughs> but everybody acts like it's amazing in the film. So, Dan, this movie... Uh, is has been special to me. I loved it when I saw it in the movies in the year 2000. It reminds me in one aspect of another film that we revisited, which was Ghost World, in that it attempts to invoke a very specific subculture and type of youngish adult person. Uh, in Ghost World, it's this world that I was kind of adjacent to when I was younger. And in this case, it hits a little more uh, home, at least it did in the year 2000. The, a story of a sad sack, lovelorn uh, collector of media who <laughs> expresses himself through the things that he collects and forces other people to <laughs> enjoy and and listen to and makes mixtapes for people to uh, communicate his feelings to them. R really, it was like, not my whole world, but that had big uh, Venn diagram crossover with who I was in the year 2000. That's a nice way to say it because I was thinking as I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is exactly like how he is. Oh, wow. <laughs> Except that's like insulting. I don't mean it yeah. like that. But I'm just saying well, there's like, it's a lot of joshiness in this, in this movie. I was, to be fair, 20 something right. in the year 2000, and he's 34. Now, the actor is. I don't know that the character is supposed to be 34, but Cusack is 34, and he actually plays himself, uh, plays the character in high school at one point in this movie. Right. Uh, so I'll, I want to talk more about my feelings, but I'll just say that on the big picture of this movie, we've got a, an adaptation, a very densely scripted adaptation of a very wordy and heady uh, inner monologue type of a novel by Nick Hornby. And then you're kind of, I guess the, the studio take is, let's take this material and mash it up with what 
John Cusack can do on screen, which is the sad sack lovelorn thing. And boom, it's got a great reputation because I think it's as that I think it's executed as well as it could be. But I found, Dan, that this movie fired on a lot of cylinders for me back in 2000. And in uh, in the year 2020, I just found him kind of to, uh, a loser. I did not identify any longer with the character. I wanted him to grow up. I wanted I didn't care that he broke up. I didn't care that he got back together. I didn't care about what they were talking about for the future. Uh, I It's an entertaining movie. It has really interesting performances. I didn't mention Tim Robbins or Joan Cusack. Uh, who are both fun in the movie and Jack Black is amazing. But really, I found myself uh, just like with as good as it gets. I started reciting lines. I must have had this movie memorized at one point. I loved it, but it feels a little bit uh, foreign and other to me now. Dan, what did you think? Yeah, I can see that. I didn't ever see this, I don't think, um, back in the day. I remember being aware of it. And it's funny that it hit because I couldn't remember what year it came out. And that it hit 2000 would have been like near the time that we met and probably had very differing movie opinions back then. Probably um, your opinion antagonized me in those days, (laughs) I think. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if I would have thought, eh, that's more his kind of movie. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Who knows, though? I just never happened to see it. And I'm not a big fan of movies about music for whatever reason. They... Mm -hmm tend not to interest me as much and I will go to them ultimately and think oh that was fine but I'm never drawn to them I think that this movie is really successful um, with what it's trying to do because it could have been a disaster but the multi-layered fourth wall breaking lots of characters episodic to me it all came together really well it has a good overall arc that you can stay with it and it can stay interesting um, yeah, on this side of history, I look at these characters and just think, grow up. Right. I, the, I probably would have thought when I was in my 20s that their emotional angst uh, would resonate a little bit more. And now I'm just kind of like, oh, they'll get over it and yeah. and they'll, they'll find their way out of this. I have not seen this movie in a very long time. And yet I must have accumulated it somewhere on Blu-ray because it was on my shelf. I don't remember buying it. I certainly haven't popped it in anytime recently, but I was poking around on the disc and caught a couple of extra features, which put this movie into some context for me. Uh, and I'm glad I did because I think uh, if there's an MVP here besides Cusack who helped adapt the script and does his, you know, his thing playing this character, the director, Stephen Frears is the kind of guy who seems to disappear behind a movie like this. But there's some stuff on the disc that made me realize what a what a balancing act Frears is doing and how hard it is to direct a movie like this. There's a mm-hmm. there's a, a feature read about him directing when it talks about him waking up in the middle of the night because the lighting was wrong or the tone was wrong or the performance was wrong in a scene. And then there's a handful of deleted scenes on the disc, some of which are would have single handedly tanked this movie. Because the tone was wrong or they were too mean. Some of them would are a little uh, don't hold up in terms of the uh, their problematic content. Um, and I just thought, wow, this movie looks breezy and cool and easy with all the monologues and the fourth wall stuff. And it's such a tightrope walk. Yeah. And it really is very, very well done. Something I thought that was interesting, too, was that it almost didn't resemble its time period. Something mm. about the way the film looked. It looked yeah. earlier than 2000 and also his look. And I wondered if that was intentional because like 
the sweater that he was wearing that they kind of made fun of and how his hair is kind of parted in the center and kind of doing that floppy thing. That's more mid to late nineties. And I wonder if even then he was supposed to be a character who was stunted and a little bit holding on to his past. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And now we just kind of look at it and say, Oh, just out of style. Cause it's old. Right. Right. You mentioned this being a movie about music. And I have to say that even though I identify with the vibe of being a collector and identifying yourself in your collection of media and the way you organize it and the way you, whatever I, as a music movie, there's almost no music that I recognize or care about in this movie. Oh, I agree. They make some references to great artists and I love the, I love the, my favorite song in it is the Stevie wonder song at the end credits, which is supposed to be him making a concession and putting a, you know, a song that she's going to like. So it's almost like looking down its nose at this catchy song. Mm-hmm. Um, so that didn't help for me even back then that this was not about my world of music at all. Yeah. And that um, is kind of a depressing ending too, that that's supposed to be the meaningful thing. Right. That's the growth. <laughs> That he's, his growth is that he allows someone else to have an opinion other than his. Right. And, yeah, it's and it's the stirring thing of like, I'm getting there. I'm I'm figuring it out. When in like, you know, the, the week prior, he almost cheated on her and then out of desperation proposed. Right. He yeah. he's he needs to do some other inner work before he's ready there. And yeah. the way they spent all their time, like those um, music halls, you know, where they... <laughs> Yeah, but it just like looks like torture and misery where it's just so crowded and it's so loud and they're always out for drinks or like an endless dinner party. I'm just like, oh, the mid to late 20s. He's, you know, he's older than that. But like, that's the world that they're going after. I'm just like, oh, I'm exhausted. Eben Hielie looks like the name of the girl who played Laura. The girl who dumps him in the beginning and they get back together and on and off. She I, she does fine. She's an interesting uh, performer, but I didn't find her character. I think I don't. I wonder if she was supposed to be bland, and she seemed way too grown up and stable to be even wasting time with right. Rob Gordon. What did we learn about her? Yeah, I feel like she didn't exist except for him. Right, and her hair was very weird. <laughs> and I kept being distracted by the cut throughout thinking this isn't indicative of the period. She's just has some weird hair. I was okay. So there's a plot point in this movie, which is, you know, a clever bit of writing to, to a, a turn late in the, in the story to kick off the third act where he picks up the phone in the middle of one crisis and it's her crying. And she says, my dad died. And boy, that gave me deja vu. Did we watch another movie? Maybe I did on my own. Maybe it's not a movie we watched here, but I feel like there's another movie where the big turn is the girlfriend in the on and off is on the phone saying my dad died. I just, I can't figure out. I've been trying all week long to pin down where that comes from. If anybody knows, tweet at us. (laughs) My dad died movies. Hashtag (laughs) dead. I mean, I wouldn't want to Google that. (laughs) No, probably not. Uh, Scratch that. Oh, there's a couple times I think it does almost like get away from, from Stephen Frears. And one of them is the the fantasy sequence with Tim Robbins. So Tim Robbins is Ian, who is right. the man that uh, John Cusack has been left for by Laura. 
And there's a scene where he comes in to kind of be cool. And, you know, he's like, hey, man, you know, take it easy. Rob fantasizes about beating him and the other guys in the record store join in. It's funny. I remember laughing hysterically at that scene in the theater. But watching it now, it feels like that's a little tonally over the top for what the rest of this movie is. I guess I, I didn't it didn't really bother me. To me, this is the year after Fight Club. Right. You know, <laughs> I feel like there were too many characters, maybe. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I we haven't mentioned have... the skater kids that come in and, and have their own, like, uh, electronica band. Yeah, like, even Sarah, Sarah Gilbert, even Sarah Gilbert, I feel like they could have, um, the, Todd uh, Luiso, who plays Dick. Yeah. It's fine to have two people, but to me, in the economy of characters, you could have just had Jack Black as the foil in the store. Right. And kind of be his friend. Weirdly contrived to the way that the movie, I mean, again, you have to imagine it's 2000 and you've got Jack Black kind of as an ace up your sleeve in your movie. Mm-hmm. That must have been very exciting to unleash him in this way. But it's a little weird to look back at how it's reverse engineered to have John Cusack begging him not to sing. I'll pay you if you don't sing. Right. Uh, when now we know that he's an amazing performer. Uh, right. Like, And why was that? Why did he care? I didn't even How would understand. he not know what he sings? Like, How's that guy not singing right. around the shop all the time? Right. I don't get it. Um, I always liked Joan Cusack. I'm not sure her character was totally necessary in this, though. Right. What was, what was her purpose in the narrative? Right. And she's much more interesting on screen than Laura yeah. is. So oh, I'm yeah. like, let's spend time with her. Let's go Except we don't doing. want the two of them to end up together. Yeah. Um. Catherine Zeta-Jones. I felt like her presence was off balance, and I don't know if that's some revisionist history. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was in Traffic the same year, playing, to me, a very... Right. I mean, obviously, she's an actress. You know, she plays different characters. Um, But she seemed so much more mature there that I thought, isn't she too old for this part? And then I saw, well, no, she's younger than he is, technically. Wow. Yeah. Um. She comes so across I, as way more mature, yeah. Yeah. And his big does. revelation about her in the movie is that she's phony, but I just couldn't get over why would she have anything to do with him in the first place? Yeah. I think that her fame even then was a problem for her in this. That yeah. this should have been maybe a beautiful unknown actress. Uh I was a little I guess I was a little mean about Lisa Bonet in my introduction. But it was remarkable to me that her, her the point of her character is that she's supposed to be an amazing musician. That's another weird piece of stunt casting. Why not get a musician? It's a small part. Like, why not cast someone who's a musician? Yeah, I didn't think I didn't see a joke there. I think in the world of the movie, she was talented. Oh, right. No, I think right. in the reality of the movie, she's amazing and they love her for it. Yeah, Right. I just wasn't sold on it as a viewer. I like her presence anytime. I, I think she has a charisma and a and a spark i i liked her more than a lot of the other characters if i'm honest i like her scene with him i do i like her acting i just i'm taking it from the, the oh yeah i'm not saying angle it, of the music yeah it doesn't make any sense from the music uh well i feel like the well is drying up quickly on high fidelity there is a television series based on this that just came out this year and a musical and a musical really that was, is it a jukebox musical um no it played eight performances Oh, wow. Which is a true catastrophe. Oh, your favorite. Reviews were mixed. (laughs) Usually things don't shut down that quickly, though. That's less than a week run. Usually they've got enough money to keep it open a couple months at least. And I. That's a a bad idea. Yeah. 
It kind of is yeah. because everybody knows the story. Right. And so what moments do you musicalize? And it's not a great, it's not a classic story. No, it's not it's, an interesting story either. It's, right. it's the, the point is in the, the tone it's and the all, style and the writing and the performance right, format. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't do that on stage. Yeah. And, and as you said earlier, there is something I agree about the filmmaking here, the actual, the grain of the film and the color of the film. I love movies from this time that are well-preserved, but still shot on 35 millimeter. So you mm-hmm. can see the grain. There's something very specific about that. And then the way it's written and then the way it's performed, you lose all those things and you're stuck with that story. That's not, that's not something that anybody wants to see. And I see here that it was released on March 31st of 2000. So we're pretty much at the 20 year anniversary oh, wow. tribute time. So we're all right on time for that. I know. Absolutely. I know. I'm surprised that it only made $47 million off of a $30 million budget because for mm. me, this is a pretty famous movie that right. is kind of part of the pop catalog. And unfortunately, I did not do uh, deep research on this, but I'm pretty sure this was like part of the run where John Cusack had become like a producer and he was making movies like Gross Point Blank. And I think this was part of that run. And I think I assumed it, always assumed it was one of the most successful of that period of of his uh, career. Well, just say that it was with confidence and like, what are someone going to like look it up? Right. No. You know, I looked up um, high fidelity. Turns out that's a, that's a kind of audio quality, a kind of speaker. That's true. Colloquially you know? referred to as hi-fi. Yeah. I didn't even know that <laughs> because there's like then a double meaning about right him, him wanting to be, to be faithful to one path or not. Right, right. You see, I, I'm understanding it all. We're getting all the metaphors this week. I know. All right. Well, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it holds up. It just doesn't have as much to do with me as it used to. That's kind of my take on it. It's good. It's funny. I think the script is maybe the, the sharpest aspect of the whole thing. I like the cast. For sure. Uh, I don't know if and when I'll watch it again. Oh, you probably will. Maybe. When I show it to my daughter as one of the classic films you must see before you... <laughs> right turn 14 kids love that uh all right i'm not going to ask you if you have anything else to say because i know that you don't sure don't i've learned over these weeks next week is our uh 50th episode and it would be your turn to make a selection dan if you'd like to i will and i'll let you know what it is all right okay and um everybody thanks so much for listening this has been our podcast for dan and josh you can follow us both on Twitter and Letterboxd. The show is at Holds Up Pod on Twitter. Music is by Jonah Rapino. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks. Bye. You know what happened yesterday? What happened yesterday? So I was driving down the highway and suddenly the car seems kind of labored. Oh, and uh, we just we determined the tire is kind of flat, but the tire place is in like less than a mile. So maybe just slowly we can get to the tire place. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we could not. It, oh, no. uh, it, it like really blew out like that tire is destroyed. Oh, boy. And so on the on the side of the side of the road there, we are changing a tire. But you know how like one of the little things. The screwy things needs a special key sometimes so people uh, don't, I guess, steal your tires. I, uh, I, I guess didn't so. really know that. but I didn't either, actually. 
Suddenly, it came to mind exactly what I needed because someone had once handed it to me when I got a new set of tires and said, here's your something. Wow. And I thought, huh. And I thought maybe I threw it away because what is this thing? I don't want it, which is kind of ironic if you sell my car because I don't throw anything away, like even trash. But then Josh found it where I'd already looked and we were able to get a spare tire on there and to drive away. I've got an appointment. The good news is I don't really need to go much of anywhere right now. Right. (laughs) So I got an appointment for tomorrow. And the reason that I bring this story up is because I think the last time I changed a tire was with you in the Palisades Mall parking lot up by Target. Wow. After one of our lunches one time, and you gave me the confidence (laughs) that I needed (laughs) to change a tire. So I was was indebted to you. So you got to have a Josh around is the moral of the story. That's what it is. That's what it is. One way or another. Come in handy. Wow. Um, I just leased a new car. And before that, my my 10-year-old car got a flat like the couple weeks before I knew I was getting rid of it. So I, it was a real bummer. Right. But the wheel was so old and rusty because I'd lost the hub, the, co- the cover. It just wouldn't come off. And long story short, a friendly, burly Irish neighbor here in Pearl River drove home and got a giant, like looks like a giant wooden spear and with all of his might placed it behind my tire and just pushed it real hard and it popped off. Wow. His, I don't know if his name was Josh, but uh, <laughs> I guess it didn't need to be. There was already probably, a probably was. Yeah. I don't feel like Josh is a very Irish name. No. It'd be the, the Gaelic uh, equivalent. <laughs> yeah. Yersh. <laughs> Yersh. But that man was very friendly, and uh, I don't know what I was gonna have to have it towed if that didn't work. So, there's a certain kind of male pride that some people have about stuff like that, where that just probably made his day to be able to do sure. that for you. Yeah, you know, I don't have that kind of kind of helpfulness. Right. right. I would help, but it would be right to be nice, not because it makes me feel good to touch a car. I'm happy to kind of stand there and be like, oh, man, that's <laughs> right. terrible. Oh, I'm sorry that happened you? to you. <laughs> anyway, and you I, look like you got it under control. So Yeah, got it under control. Um, <laughs> oh, that was you being me. Yeah. Um, I see. I, I thought you were comforting me, and I felt comforted. Well, you do also literally have it all under control. I so had it under control. I called my – so when, when we didn't have that key at first, and I was thinking, well, we can't drive this away right now. Um, Because the thing, like, the tire was literally laying f- flat on the road, you know. So it was completely demolished. Yeah. I called my insurance to see if I had roadside assistance. And it turns out I didn't. But they would be happy to broker it for me and get right. someone right out there. And they knew exactly where I was from the phone call. Wow. So I thought, that's actually pretty nice. But I'll probably get AAA now because for that yeah. one tiny annual... I mean, what was I, what am I thinking? I used to have it. Now I just don't. Right. Sure. You can get, you you get quite a bit of stuff from them. If something goes wrong, you can get like a hundred mile tow. My new car came with lots of cool stuff. It came with this big dashboard mounted monitor where I can plug my phone in and use my apps, like mobile car versions of my apps and GPS and stuff. But it also has a button on it. I forgot what it's called. Something not on star, but something like that where 
I can push a button and activate it at any time and get a like a free trial, but it's very intimidating to like think of starting it and when do I initiate? Right. Does it work if I do it in an emergency? I don't know. Right. I've never had one of those highway blowouts like that. I can't imagine that's fun. Yeah, it wasn't that dramatic. I I, I was dramatic because I don't handle setbacks or stress very well. <laughs> but I think for me, I did a good job. Yeah. Well done. Thanks. Three and a half stars. <laughs> Three and a half star story, one star experience. 